0: Chapter 5 of The Flight of the Shadow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shay Davenport, New Orleans, Louisiana. The Flight of the Shadow by George MacDonald. Chapter 5 My First Secret. I was one morning with my uncle in his room. Lessons were over, and I was reading a marvelous story in one of my favorite annuals. My uncle had so taught me from infancy the right handling of books that he would have trusted me with the most valuable in his possession. I do not know how old I was, but that is no matter. Man or woman is aged according to the development of their consciousness. Looking up, I saw him stooping over an open drawer in a cabinet behind the door i sat on the great chest under the gable window and was away from him the whole length of the room he had never told me not to look at him had never seemed to object to the presence of my eyes on anything he did and as a matter of course i sat observing him partly because i had never seen any portion of that cabinet open he turned towards the skylight near him and held up between him and it a small something of which i could just see that it was red and shone in the light then he turned hurriedly threw it in the drawer and went straight out leaving the drawer open i knew i had lost his company for the day the moment he was gone the phantasm of the pretty thing he had been looking at so intently came back to me somehow i seemed to understand that i had no right to know what it was seeing my uncle had not shown it to me at the same time i had no law to guide me he had never said i was not to look at this or that in the room if he had Even if the cabinet had not been mentioned, I do not think I should have offended. But that does not make the fault less. For which is the more guilty? The man who knows there is a law against doing a certain thing, and does it? Or the man who feels an authority in the depth of his nature forbidding the thing, and yet does it? Surely the latter is greatly the more guilty. I rose and went to the cabinet. But when the contents of the drawer began to show themselves as I drew near i closed my lids and kept them close until i had seated myself on the floor with my back to the cabinet and the drawer projecting over my head like a shelf of a bracket over its supporting figure i could touch it with the top of my head by straightening my back how long i sat there motionless i cannot say but it seems in retrospect at least a week such a multitude of thinkings went through my mind the logical discussion of a thing that has to be done the thing awaiting action and not decision the experiment that is whether the duty or the temptation has more to say for itself is one of the straight roads to the pit similarly there are multitudes who lose their lives pondering what they ought to believe while something lies at the door waiting to be done and rendering it impossible for him who makes it wait ever to know what to believe only a pure heart can understand and a pure heart is one that sends out ready hands i knew perfectly well what i ought to do namely to shut that drawer with back of my head then get up and do something and forget the shining stone i had seen betwixt my uncle's finger and thumb yet there i sat debating whether i was not at liberty to do in my uncle's room what he had not told me not to do I will not weary my reader with any further description of the evil path by which I arrived at the evil act. To myself, it is pain even now to tell that I got on my feet, saw a blaze of shining things, banged to the drawer, and knew that Eve had eaten the apple. The eyes of my consciousness were open to the evil in me, through the evil done by me. Evil seemed now a part of myself, so that never more should I get rid of it. It may be easy for one regarding it from afar, through the telescope only of a book, to exclaim, Such a little thing! But it was I who did it, and not another. It was I, and only I, who could know what I had done. And it was not a little thing. That peep into my uncle's drawer lies in my soul the type of sin. Never have I done anything wrong with such a clear assurance that I was doing wrong, as when I did the thing I had taken most pains to reason out as right like one stunned by electric shock i had neither feeling nor care left for anything i walked to the end of the long room as far as i could go from the scene of my crime and sat down on the great chest with my coffin the cabinet facing me in the distance the first thing i think that i grew conscious of was dreariness there was nothing interesting anywhere what should i do there was nothing to do nothing to think about Not a book worth reading. Story was suddenly dried up at its fountain. Life was a plain without water brooks. If the sky was not a foul and pestilent congregation of vapors, it was nothing better than a canopy of gray and blue. By degrees my thoughts settled on what I had done, and in a moment I realized it as it was a vile thing, and I had lost my life for it. This is the nearest I can come to the expression of what I felt. I was simply in despair. I had done wrong, and the world had closed in upon me. The sky had come down and was crushing me. The lid of my coffin was closed. I should come out no more. But deliverance came speedily, and in how lovely a way. Into my thought, not into my room, came my uncle. Present to my deepest consciousness, he stood tall, loving, beautiful, sad. I read no rebuke in his countenance only sorrow that I had sinned, and sympathy with my suffering because of my sin. Then first I knew I had wronged him in looking in his drawer. Then first I saw it was his being that made the thing I had done an evil thing. If the drawer had been nobody's, there would have been no wrong in looking into it. And what made it so very bad was that my uncle was so good to me. With the discovery came a rush of gladsome relief strange to say with the clearer perception of the greatness of the wrong i had done came the gladness of redemption it was almost a pure joy to find that it was against my uncle my own uncle that i had sinned that joy was the first gleam through a darkness that seemed settled on my soul forever but a brighter followed for thus spake the truth within me the thing is in your uncle's hands he is the lord of the wrong you have done It is to him it makes you a debtor. He loves you and will forgive you. Of course he will. He cannot make undone what is done, but he will comfort you and find some way of setting things right. There must be some way. I cannot be doomed to be a contemptible child to all eternity. It is so easy to go wrong and so hard to get right. He must help me. I sat the rest of the day alone in that solitary room, away from Martha and Rover and everybody i would that even now in my old age i waited for god as then i waited for my uncle if only he would come that i might pour out the story of my fall for i had sinned after the similitude of adam's transgression only i was worse for neither serpent nor wife had tempted me at tea-time martha came to find me i would not go with her she would bring me my tea she said i would not have any tea With a look like that she sometimes cast on my uncle, she left me. Dear Martha, she had the lovely gift of leaving alone. That evening there was no tea in the house. Martha did not have any. With the conceit peculiar to repentance and humiliation, I took a curious satisfaction in being hard on myself. I could have taken my meal tolerably well, with the new hope in my uncle as my savior, came comfort enough for the natural process of getting hungry and desiring food. But with common, indeed vulgar, foolishness, my own righteousness in taking vengeance on my fault was a satisfaction to me. I did not see then the presumption of the sinner's taking vengeance on her own fault, did not see that I had no right to do that. For how should such a thing defiled punish? With all my great joy in the discovery that the fault was against my uncle, I forgot that, therefore, I was in his jurisdiction, that he only had to deal with it, that he alone could punish, that he alone could forgive it. It was the end of August, and the night stole swiftly upon the day. It began to grow very dusk, but I would not stir. I and the cabinet kept each other dismal company while the gloom deepened into the night. Nor did the night part us, for I and the cabinet filled all the darkness. Had my uncle remained the whole night away, I believe I should have sat till he came. But happily, both for my mental suffering and my bodily endurance, he returned sooner than many a time. I heard the house door open. I knew he would come to the study before going to his bedroom, and my heart gave a bound of awe-filled eagerness. I knew also that Martha never spoke to him when he returned from one of his late rambles, and that he would not know I was there. Long before she died, Martha knew how grateful he was for her delicate consideration. Martha Moon was not one of this world's ladies. But there is not a county where the social question is not, Is she a lady? But how much of a woman is she? Martha's name must, I think, stand well up in the book of life. My uncle then approached his room without knowing there was a live kernel to the dark that filled it. I hearkened to every nearer step as he came up the stair along the corridor, and up the short final ascent to the door of the study i had crept from my place to the middle of the room and without a thought of consequences stood waiting the arrival through the dark of my deliverer from the dark i did not know that many a man who would face a battery calmly will spring a yard aside if a yelping cur dart at him my uncle opened the door and closed it behind him his lamp and matches stood ready on his table it was my part to see they were there With a sigh, which seemed to seek me in the darkness and find me, he came forward through it. I caught him round the legs and clung to him. He gave a great gasp and a smothered cry staggered and nearly fell. My God, he murmured. Uncle, uncle, I cried in greater terror than he. It's only Orby. It's only your little one. Oh, it's only my little one, is it? he rejoined, at once recovering his equanimity, and not for a moment losing the temper so ready like a nervous cat to spring from most of us when startled. He caught me up in his arms and held me to his heart. I could feel it beat against my little person. Uncle, uncle, I cried again. Don't, don't. Did I hurt you, my little one, he said, and relaxing his embrace, held me more gently, but did not set me down. No, no, I answered, But I've got a secret, and you mustn't kiss me till it is gone. I wish there was a swine to send it into. Give it to me, little one. I will treat it better than a swine would. But it mustn't be treated, Uncle. It might come again. There is no fear of that, my child. As soon as a secret is told, it is dead. It is a secret no longer. Will it be dead, Uncle? I returned. But it will be there all the same. When it is dead, an ugly thing, it will only put off its cloak and show itself. All secrets are not ugly things when their cloaks are off. The cloak may be the ugly thing, and nothing else. He stood in the dark, holding me in his arms. But the clouds had cleared off a little, and though there was no moon, I could see the dim blue of the skylights and a little shine from the gray of his hair. But mine is an ugly thing, I said, and I hate it. Please let me put it out of my mouth. Perhaps then it will go dead. Out with it, little one. Put me down, please, I returned. He walked to the old chest under the gable window, seated himself on it, and set me down beside him. I slipped from the chest and knelt on the floor at his feet a little way in front of him. I did not touch him, and all was again quite dark about us. I told him my story from beginning to end, along with a great deal of my meditations while hesitating to do the deed. I felt very choky, but forced my way through, talking with a throat that did not seem my own, and sending out a voice I seemed never to have heard before the moment i ceased a sound like a sob came out of the darkness was it possible my big uncle was crying then indeed there was no hope for me he was horrified at my wickedness and very sorry to have to give me up i howled like a wild beast please uncle will you kill me i cried through a riot of sobs that came from me like potatoes from a sack yes yes i will kill you my darling he answered this way this way and stretching out his arms, he found me in the dark, drew me to him, and covered my face with kisses. Now he resumed, "I've killed you alive again, and the ugly secret is dead, and will never come to life any more and I think besides, we have killed the hen that lays the egg secrets." He rose with me in his arms, set me down on the chest, lighted his lamp, and carried it to the cabinet. Then he returned and taking me by the hand, led me to it, opened wide the drawer of a fence lifted me and held me so that i could see well into it the light flashed in a hundred glories of colour from a multitude of cut but unset stones that lay loose in it i soon learned that most of them were of small money value but their beauty was none the less entrancing there were stones of price among them however and these were the first he taught me because they were the most beautiful my fault had opened a new source of delight my stone lesson was now one of the great pleasures of the week in after years i saw in the richness of god not content with setting right what is wrong but making from it a gain he will not have his children the worse for the wrong they have done we shall lose nothing by it he is our father for the hurting sand grain he gives his oyster a pearl there said my uncle you may look at them as often as you please only mind you have put every one back as soon as you have satisfied your eyes with it you must not put one in your pocket or carry it about in your hand Then he set me down, saying, Now you must go to bed and dream about pretty things. I will tell you a lot of stories about them afterward. We had a way of calling any kind of statement a story. I never cared to ask how it was that, seeing all the same I had done the wrong thing, the whole weight of it was gone from me. So utterly was it gone that I did not even inquire whether I ought so to let it pass from me. It was nowhere. In the fire of my uncle's love to me and mine to him, the thing vanished it was annihilated should i not be a creature unworthy of life if now in my old age i who had such an uncle in my childhood did not with my very life believe in god i have wondered whether if my father had lived to bring me up instead of my uncle i should have been very different but the useless speculation has only driven me to believe that the relations on the surface of life are but the symbols of far deeper ties which may exist without those correspondent external ones at the same time now that being old i naturally think of the coming change i feel that when i see my father i shall have a different feeling for him just because he is my father although my uncle did all the fatherly toward me But we need not trouble ourselves about our hearts and all their varying hues and shades of feeling. Truth is at the root of all existence. Therefore, everything must come right, if only we are obedient to the truth. And right is in the deepest satisfaction of every creature as well as God. I wait in confidence. If things be not as we think, they will both arouse and satisfy a better think, making us glad they are not as we expected. End of chapter five. Recording by Shay Davenport www.shaydavenport.com